Hey, it's Chris Garlock with our Pod Extra edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Excerpts from the weekly meeting of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Our guest this week was Ellen Cassidy, co-founder of 9 to 5 and author of a brand new book, Working 9 to 5, a women's movement, a labor union, and the iconic movie, with a foreword by Jane Fonda. Here's Ellen. The book is my first person account of the movement of working women that began 50 years ago in Boston when 10 women office workers got together and started talking about our jobs. At that time, sexual harassment was legal. Pregnancy discrimination was legal. Uh, There were ads in the newspapers, male, help wanted male and help wanted female. Office work paid less than factory work and we were training men to be our own supervisors. Uh, One in three women were clerical workers, but we were basically invisible. Very few of us were in unions. Um, There was no history of collective action. And uh, that meant that when, when women felt unhappy on the job, they were likely to think it was probably their own fault. Should they be dressing for success? Should they take another class? And it took a lot of creative tactics to overcome that feeling and um, start getting the idea out that joining together was really the way to go. Another problem was that the the workplace was very authoritarian. So in the typing pools, the supervisors could see when you got up from your desk to go talk to somebody and you weren't allowed to. We would hand out leaflets in front of the, the big skyscrapers and the women would go in through the revolving door and standing right inside in the lobby would be a supervisor who would just grab that leaflet right out of their hands. So we started organizing and things began to change. We took on the biggest banks, the biggest insurance companies. We held splashy press conferences and um, got government working on our behalf. And we uh, used the idea of the sort of the whistleblowing office worker as a tactic. So women didn't have to give their names. They, their boss didn't have to know. They didn't have to stand up to their boss. They could call us on a special hotline and tell us what was going on. And then we'd be out there the next day with a leaflet saying, we heard from inside the First National Bank that such and such is going on. We drove the employers mad. In fact, uh, at one point, we found out that one executive from an insurance company had decided that it was necessary to sleep in his office overnight in case we might invade after we targeted the John Hancock Insurance Company. Um, We won millions of dollars in back pay. We united women of all ages, races, and classes. We expanded across the country. We formed a woman-led union affiliated with SEIU. Um, We inspired Jane Fonda to make her movie and Dolly Parton to write her song. And we made countless bosses get their own coffee. Now, of course, we encountered ferocious resistance. Employers bent the law, they broke the law to stop us, but we changed the lives of countless women. Um, I think today it's clear that matters that used to be considered individual issues like pregnancy discrimination, sexual harassment, have become policy issues. Managerial jobs opened up to college educated women. The wage gap shrank. 
But of course, we didn't win it all. And today, it's harder to be a worker in many respects than it was 50 years ago in the gig economy. But what's so exciting to me is that um, with the surge of labor organizing today, the support for unions that we're seeing today, it reminds me of the stirring of our sleeping giant, clerical workers back then in the 1970s. And today it's another sleeping giant waking up. And so I hope that our nine to five story will help to inspire today's brave workplace activists. Judy Ann Sell, host of the Heartland Labor Forum, had the first question for Ellen. I look at clerical workers today. I look at the kind of clerical workers we have. Or, I mean, the work's changed a lot since, since you know, secretaries and people taking shorthand and typists and all. I mean, those kinds of jobs have actually sort of disappeared. Uh, but the kind clerical work has certainly not disappeared. It's just computerized and and become much more deadly in a lot of ways, I think, probably and repetitive and monitored and all of those kinds of things, but we still are not seeing them organize. Um, you know, very, very few, for instance, insurance companies are organized, very, very few offices, um, you know, investment companies, you know, these companies that employ lots of uh, lots of white collar workers to do the the digital work. And I don't know, what do you what do you think? Why why is it that uh, you know, like women and they're in there uh, a lot women you know why is it that they have is it the union busting is it um you know something about the work is it the women what what do you think is is why we're not seeing the kinds of stirrings we're seeing in other places yeah it's a good question um i think it's a complex picture uh, office work today some jobs have become more fulfilling um, there are more career ladders in some respects, but then other jobs have become much more deadening and uh, and oppressive. And, um, you know, very few people are unionizing, period. So despite right. the, the recent poll that came out about the 71% of people supporting right. unions, um, I think it said that only 10% of them actually wanted to be in a union. So we've <laughs> some work ahead of us. Um, union busting is huge. Um, it was huge for us. We started our, our nationwide union in 1980, right around the time of the Patco firings. So, uh, and that was when union busters were really starting to feel their oats and, and the majority of union drives have union busting consultants involved. Um, and it takes an enormous toll. The question of why, uh, for example, the uh, cleaners, the janitors in one of those big skyscrapers would be willing to organize. And yet the office workers sitting upstairs in their, you know, behind their desks and their air conditioning and so on would not. Um, that's, that's a good question. And um, that's a question that the labor movement is going to have to um, really contemplate. What is it going to take to get women workers in those jobs uh, to join together and, and mobilize. And we found a lot of, of great ways to raise a big hullabaloo and we made a lot of change, but there's way more to do. And um, to translate what we were able to do into actual union membership is a big job. Next up, Patrick Dixon. Good afternoon. I'm 
uh, I, I helped produce something called the Labour Radio Podcast Weekly, which is kind of a best of show of uh, all the different podcasts that we work with. Uh, it sort of strikes me that the period in which you're talking about the 1970s, that the perception of the union movement at that time, at least in some people's eyes, is that it's mostly sort of male dominated, that it's in some places uh, fairly exclusively white, in others not so. Um, you know, there'd been some inroads in the farm worker movement, but it doesn't appear to me as if um, there, there, does, there don't seem to be many uh, readily apparent sort of uh, examples of other women's unions that were there for you to emulate. Is that the case or? Yeah, well, when we started out in 1973, um, we went around town Boston uh, talking to union leaders. It was hard to find women le union leaders. Um, it was hard to find women who were in unions or who felt that they wanted to be in unions. Uh, and the, the organizers we talked to of the unions were not really set up mostly to deal with office workers. I remember one, one organizer told us, union organizer, that a group of 10 office workers had, had shown up in the union office and wanted help. And they just didn't know what to do with them. And so they <laughs> kind of sent them away. Um, and But in the 70s, there were um, a lot of organizing attempts by uh, the Service Employees International Union, by AFSME, by CWA, the phone workers, um, AFT secretaries, the Teamsters, there was there was quite a bit going on. Um, and over time, the people who, uh, I, I think a lot of women joined the labor movement as organizers and as, as officials as a result of what we did. Um, but I think your perception was is accurate that at the beginning, um, George Meany was quoted saying, you know, people who are not yet in unions and don't particularly want to be in unions, that's not our focus. Our focus is on the people who are in our union. We want to do the best we can for them. And, um, you know, that had worked for a while, and but it was time for a change. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, I know uh, Jerry from Labor Express Radio has a question. Jerry? So just, I, I kind of came out late, so I missed uh, the beginning of your, your talk, so I may have missed something, but um, I, you mentioned that uh, you were affiliated with SEIU. Um, I'm just curious, the union that was formed, what is it, is it still exists today in some form then? Is what, what is the, uh, the actual, you know, uh, modern equivalent that it eventually, you know, became or whatever? Yeah, so um, in 1975 in Boston, and then uh, we started a union called Local 925 SEIU. Um, and then in 1980, we formed what was called District 925 SEIU. And it operated all over the country. We had our own charter and we hired our own organizers. It was quite insane. We, we had organizing drives going on the West Coast in Chicago and Ohio and on the East Coast as well. Um, and in uh, the early 90s, the district per se was um, distributed out into other uh, units in SEIU. So District 925 ceased to be. But local 925 in Seattle is still going strong and has 24,000 members and is continuing to organize new kinds of workers, childcare workers, home care workers, um, and is, is in good shape. I was thinking that 
you know, it's not often we get to have somebody who is really, you know, one of the founders of one of these major labor movements. So it's a, it's a real, it's a real treat to have you on and so really great to have you on the, the various podcasts. So if you want more information about that, just go to my website, ellencassidy.com. Really an honor. Great to meet all of you. All right. You'll be hearing from a lot of us. Great. Okay. Take care. Working That's it for this Pod Extra edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, produced and edited by me and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Labor Radio Net. Find out more on our website, laborradionetwork.org. For Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this has been Chris Garlock. Stay active and stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. You're just a step on the boss man's ladder But you got dreams he'll never take away In the same boat with a lot of your friends Waiting for the day your ship will come in And the tide's gonna turn